Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Football Gar- Garbage Time NFL Podcast and our Scares and Dares episode where we review our favorite horror movie scares of the week, including our favorite movie, obviously, and give you the NFL player prop bets we dare to make. My name is Hakun Wong and I'm the editor-in-chief of Football Garbage Time. And with me as always for our Scares and Dares episode, senior staff writer Joanne Kong. How are you doing? Good. Hey, everyone. All right. Well, we got plenty to talk about this week because we're going to be talking about our horror movie scare of the week. It's 2022 movie X, which is now streaming on Showtime. And we'll talk about those player prop scares that we've got there to make. And of course, we're doing okay, but we're going to do better. As I always say, we're going to do better. And we're going to tell you exactly why we have some specific ones, which I think are quite daring this week uh, between the two of us. I'm not taking any easy outs this week, and I know you're not taking any easy outs either. So this will be interesting uh, to see how it turns out. Let's get going, bro. All right. As I mentioned, we will be talking today about the horror movie X from 2022, which is streaming on Showtime. So this movie actually uh, came out a little bit of a little while ago. Um, it was actually released in theaters back in March and was released on video on demand back in April and then became available on Showtime only a few months ago. And actually, uh, it's been on my list to watch for quite some time ever since it was announced. I was excited about it. Of course, a movie by a new director, new-ish director, Key West. I was very excited about it. Uh, and then it became streaming, and we thought it was good, But and, and I don't want to spoil anything, but we thought we already reviewed this <laughs> at some point. Yes. We were surprised. Yeah, I would think we would have, because as soon as we saw it, I think we both really liked it. Right. Um, and so I'm surprised we haven't reviewed this. Right. So, so not to spoil, I mean, I think you're a little bit of a spoiler alert there. That's called foreshadowing. You know, we don't actually know exactly kind of where we're going with this here, right? But we're going to talk about X today. Uh, it's part of a trilogy, so that's really interesting. There are two more movies in the trilogy, so X being the first in the trilogy. Uh, it is a movie that actually runs at an hour and 45 minutes, which is just enough time, I think, to get all the right information uh, out for all the different characters. And um, it was, as I mentioned, a movie that was directed and written by T. West, produced by Jacob Jaffke, Kevin Turin, and Harrison Kreese. And it stars um, Mia Goth, who I think was fantastic in this movie. So yeah, we're going to get to good. that in a little bit. So as usual, we're going to go ahead and tell you a little bit about the premise of the movie, and then we'll tell you a little bit about uh, what we thought about it, and then we'll tell you what we liked most and least and give you our scare meter rating and then our star rating. Uh, so let's get started. So a little bit on the background first. In 1979, a group of young filmmakers, including aspiring pornographic actress Maxine Minx, her producer boyfriend Wayne, fellow actors Bobby Lynn and Jackson Hole. By the way, I didn't realize his name was Jackson Hole. Yeah. <laughs> until I, I, I went back and double checked and I'm like, oh, I know they called him Jackson, but I didn't realize his name was Jackson Hole. I mean, these are all porn star names. <laughs> no, that's amazing. I love that I mean, one. Maxine Minx. Maxine means definitely a porn star name. Yeah, Jackson Hole, though. I didn't catch that. I didn't catch that in the movie, so I appreciate that now. Uh, the director, uh, RJ, and RJ's girlfriend, Lorraine, they all set out together to make an adult film in rural Texas. Uh, already a bad idea. Rural Texas <laughs> is just basically asking for a Texas Chainsaw rural Massacre. anywhere. Right. I mean, everything Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's like avoid rural Texas if you're going to be a bunch of teenagers it, or, or young adults. It's just not a good place for you. Um, 
All right. So that being said, uh, so they're set out, set, out, uh, set out to make this adult film in rural Texas. Lorraine is uh, very skeptical of the work. She's very critical of all the adult film actresses. But RJ insists that although it's an adult film, they have an opportunity here to make it artistic and perhaps even a serious cinematic contribution. So the entire group arrives at a farm um, that's owned by Howard and Pearl, an elderly couple and whose guest house the group intends to shoot this film, which they called The Farmer's Daughter. Now, Howard is initially very temperamental. Uh, he reacts violently towards the group. He pulls out a shotgun on them. Pearl, on the other hand, stays pretty much in the background there. And, um, and that's interesting because as time goes on, she starts to kind of skulk around in the background and um, it's, it's unclear what's happening at first, but she tends to be stalking the filmmakers, it looks like, uh, during the early part of the film. Then the, film, then the filming of this um, show, uh, this movie, Farmer's Daughter, starts in the guest house, and that happens without Howard's knowledge, and that's actually very important for the plot later on. And in the meantime, Maxine is invited inside the couple's home by Pearl, and they have a very enlight- enlightening discussion where Pearl laments her age, expresses a little bit of jealousy for Maxine's youth, and makes an, an advance towards her, which makes Maxine uncomfortable. So the filming of this, uh, this adult film continues and causes some serious interpersonal issues in the group when the script is changed unexpectedly. And then when Howard and Pearl discover that the group is filming an adult film in their guest house, things really come to a head, and the cast suddenly find themselves fighting for their lives. So I'm going to stop right there because I don't want to go any further, because there are a lot of other twists and turns that occur in the movie at that point. But uh, what did you think of the movie? I really enjoyed it. And um, that's really funny, like, you know, thinking about it. But they rent this, the guest house and this farmhouse. Yep. And it was an Airbnb before Airbnb. Yeah, definitely. Porn. Yep, yep. That's right. That's right. Now, it's a 1979 Airbnb. Um, okay. Uh, so, so let me give, let me give, uh, let me give you some input and, uh, and, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about some more background here and, um, and then we'll get back to some of the, the, uh, the issues that we're going to talk about in terms of the, um, uh, in terms of the critics and what the audience says, but the, the background here continues on because there's a lot of aspects of the movie where there are, uh, elements that, and, and this is stuff that I really, really liked, elements that kind of take away from the aforementioned Texas Chainsaw Massacre, as well as lots of other movies, even movies like Boogie Nights. I think there is some element there of kind of uh, influence from those types of movies. So I kind of felt like there was a lot of the aspects of the traditional slasher type movie from the 80s, which is great because this is placed at the cusp there, late 70s, early 80s, which is kind of the heyday of old slasher horror films. So that was really good to see, um, kind of, kind of uh, contrasting the time frame in which they were, uh, uh, had this movie occur with the time frame of kind of the height of slasher movies, you know, the night, night, late 70s, early 80s. So I thought it was really interesting how they transposed those two, which is fantastic. And of course, it's very clear, like I said, the influence from those older movies like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, which I think is, uh, which I think was great. But there was a lot of, lot of, there were a lot of, I think a lot of things that they moved, moved around and they changed though. Yeah. And also the way they shot it, I thought, um, the imaging and like the picture, like it, it was also very reminiscent of that back time too. Like, yep. you know, you wouldn't think too much that it was like current, current day. Right. 
Right. No, it certainly, I mean, it, it certainly was made to be, I mean, it was put specifically in 1979, and I think that was really great. And I think they also had in mind, since this was going to be a trilogy, that one of the movies was going to be a prequel, one was going to be a sequel. So they wanted enough time to go backwards and forwards in the time frame in order to kind of present that information. So I thought it was very well done. I thought the framing was done well. I thought that all the period pieces were done well. I really did buy that it was late 70s there. Yeah, I mean, costume, I mean, everything just, and the setting itself, like, I don't think there's any better setting than rural anywhere. Yeah, right, sure. So certainly not for a, a traditional slasher film with a twist. So let me ask you, what did you like most and what did you like least about this movie? You know, that's funny. Like, uh, out when I was thinking about it, there were so many things that I liked about this movie. And one you already mentioned was the Puritan setting. Like, mm-hmm. I thought they did a really good job. And I And to be honest, like, I don't, I think, that there is nothing scarier than in a period in time where there was like very little technology. Yeah, sure. No, no ability to communicate. Right. Because like all you have is a landmine and if that's gone, you have nothing. Right. You're set in a very rural area in a time period where like, you know, cars just died. And yeah. You, but, you know, and so today, like, the horror movies, like, you have to be like, oh, there's no reception. Right, 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 right. right. Like, the old uh, bad uh, yes. cell service uh-huh. trick, because the otherwise... The battery's dead. Right, 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 exactly. <laughs> because Unreliable cell phones. Right. So, like, they have to create this, you know, environment where it is... Secluded. Right, secluded. And, and to create that same you know, ambiance that you have in a period where all this technology didn't exist. Yeah, part of the reason why in the late 70s, you know, serial killers, there was was a plethora of of those that kind of popped up because there was very little communication, very little um, coordination between um, state law enforcement agencies. No no CCTV. No no CCTV. No cameras in in front of everybody's door. Right, right. No recordings of any kind. So it was very difficult to uh, get in touch with anybody. So, yeah, I I think they did a great job. And then by putting it in 1979. Right. But, you know, like like I said, there was a lot of things I liked. That was one. Um, I also liked the death scenes. Okay. I don't think that's giving anything away. No. Because they all died in a different way. Sure. So, uh, so I like, like that. Final Destination-esque, yeah. but, but, but more slasher, yeah. more slasher uh, uh, perspective. And, and also, hopefully not giving anything away, the last one is, is I like, um, I liked the, the killer. Okay. Or yeah, I don't want to give it away. That's why I, I want to be really careful. But the um, the antagonist yeah. in the movie. Yep. Um, I I liked it. I felt like they created a new type of horror yeah. because it was a legitimate horror, and I think a lot of people are actually afraid of you know getting older and what, you know what happens to you and like they've created a uh, an environment which makes it very. Scary. Yeah, no, I think that I don't think it's a new genre, but I think I certainly I think that I certainly think it's it's unique in its take, and I do think, and I have to say, what I like most was Mia Goth. I thought she did a fantastic yeah, I job. Yeah, you were gonna say that. Yeah, she has been she was terrific in this. Um, I mean, everybody else in the movie also really good, but Mia Goth I think was absolutely fantastic, and she plays two roles in the movie. Just so everyone, and that's not I don't think that's gonna be a surprise to anybody, but. Um, it, I think it it's a perfect a job. You know what? It might be a surprise to some people. We had to look it up. But we, but if, well, you, if you go to IMDb, basically spoil it yes, right away. Yeah, <laughs> it does. It does. Because, yeah, it does give it away. But, like, I mean, like, I, like... I like asked you while we were watching it. I was like, I think those are the same. That's the, the same, same actress. Yeah, yeah. 
no, she did a great job, uh, and and I think we will see her uh, so in other movies of the same type because she was fantastic, had great uh, range in this, and I think she did. She was a real big part of why I really enjoyed um, the character development in this movie. Uh, and then, what did you like least of the movie? Okay, so this also took a lot of thought because mm. I wasn't sure yeah. <laughs> what I liked sure. least because there were so many things I liked about the movie. Yep. So I really thought hard about it, and I think what I liked least about the movie was the porn scenes. Okay. Because, I mean, and I'm saying this. And they weren't really porn scenes. They were just the filming scenes. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying this without, you know, watching what angles the director is shooting from and watching a very raw shoot and not really knowing the story. You know, they talk about it, but don't really talk about it. Yep. Because I just thought, like, the scenes were, like, pretty tame and lame for porn. Well, I mean, they were just trying, I think they were just trying to create the uh, ambiance here. I don't think it was meant to be actually an adult film. You know, I think it was a horror film that was masquerading as such. Uh, yes, but, but, but that, I know, but like I had to think of something which I thought was okay, like, okay. you know, I, was like, I, I, yeah. did, I will say this though. I did say that I think, I don't think it really added too much to the movie. I just kind of filled out some time. Some of them are actually a little bit longer than they needed to be. I mean, yeah. there, there's some, there was one in particular that was necessary for the story to move forward, but the rest of them were really kind of unnecessary. Yeah. Uh, you could have just kind of alluded to them or you could have had them in very quick succession. Yeah. It would have been But no I, different. I think it's just a, when you think about the time period of horror films, there mm. was like always a lot of like topless scenes. Sure. And, you know, and I think that's what they try to bring with, this edition sure they try to and, made it they made they had a reason yeah to, to do it as I, opposed to like 80 slasher films where they just had it happen yeah <laughs> you just mystically appeared in the women's locker room for yeah. no reason or something so yeah so i mean like so i i understand why they did it um it's it's yeah it, it was just like okay it is what it is and not like you said it's not like it adds you know, that much to the movie, but it does have something because yeah. that's the purpose of them being there. Right. And I, and I did now I, I, what I liked least, and I know that we kind of disagreed on this is that I actually liked the character Howard, the elderly guy. Um, but they didn't really do much in order to give us much insight into his character. Now, that being said, one of the movies in the trilogy is a prequel. So we may still get that, but I, I actually, there were things that he did and the way he reacted on certain things. And I, I would love to, have more exposition on his character. I think they did a good job on every other character uh, except for his. But that being said, I don't, I, like I don't I said, think it was necessary. Yeah. I just thought it was it would be interesting to know I more. I think we knew enough about Howard for the movie. And yes, of course, like it would have been good to know a lot more about a lot of the other actors too. But I don't think it's relevant for this movie. Uh, I, well, I don't think that it's necessary, yeah. but I do think that it would have been uh, it would have been nice to have a little bit more. But for an hour and forty seven minutes, I think they did exactly what they're supposed to do. So let's give us your scareometer here. What do you have a scareometer? Zero to ten. Zero being um, it's basically on Disney Plus, and ten being oh my goodness, it's ridiculous. Six. Six. All right, that's not so bad. I actually gave it a seven. I thought it was a yeah. legit horror movie. It, it had was all a the totally suspense legit points yeah. of it, and I thought it was absolutely legit. So before we get to our rating on the movie, let me give you what happened, uh, what they said on Tomato Meter, and then Rotten Tomatoes. So the Tomato Meter of 216 reviews. That's a lot of reviews. Got a 94 percent. Yeah. 94 percent on the Tomato Meter, uh, and the audience score of 500 plus verified ratings, 75 percent. Still very strong. Uh, the critics' consensus is a fresh spin on a classic slasher formula. X marks the spot where T. West gets resoundingly back to his horror roots. And the audience says, 
isn't every horror movie uh, horror fan's idea of a good time, but it's often unique and never boring. All right, so there you go. So what do you uh, what do you give it in a star rating? A zero to four. Three point five. Three point five. That yeah. might be the highest uh, star rating you've given to a movie no, yet. I think I gave another one a three point five. Well, it's really good. I gave it a three. I think it was, I, it met my expectations. My expectations were very high. Oh, this movie. See, I think that's why. Like, I didn't know anything going into it. You know a lot going into well, it. Well, it was yeah. it was a lot of hype. Um, this movie got a ton of hype, so I think that yeah, everyone I was expecting it. it. Yeah. I, just, I just saw the hype. There you go. Yeah. That, that, sometimes it's better. Yeah. Sometimes it's better. All right, that's X, available or streaming on Showtime. Check it out. Uh, it, I thought that was a real good one. So let's uh, move it all right along here because we have to get to our next topic, and that is a topic that I'm sure you all want to know about. We're going to turn to our NFL player prop bets that we dare to make in week 15. So, Joanne, give us your first pick. So my first pick is Garrett Wilson from the New York Jets. Okay. Uh, and it is um, over under 64.5 receiving yards, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go with the over. The over, okay. Yeah. So uh, the Jets are playing Buffalo uh, this week. Uh, so Garrett and um, and before I go into Garrett Wilson, um, this will be the first time um, quarterback White Mike, Mike White Mike White is going to play against the Buffalo Bills. Okay. The last time they played, um, uh, Zach, Zach Wilson Wilson was their quarterback. Mm-hmm. So who barely um, qualified as a quarterback? <laughs> but, but but still, but. Okay, but still, like, they won. Yes. They won. They did. So, Despite uh, Zach Wilson. <laughs> Despite okay. Zach Wilson? Yes. Okay. So, in the, last five, in the last five weeks, four out of the five games, Garrett Wilson had over 65.5 receiving yards. So, mm-hmm. he's been doing, like, pretty, pretty good. He's like, definitely yeah, a newfound – I mean, he, he's got – he's recaptured that mojo. I mean, we, ever, we knew he was a great rookie coming in. And he got lost in the shuffle when, when Zach Wilson came yeah. back, actually. He was good with uh, Joe Flacco. Yeah. <laughs> he was bad with Zach Wilson. And Mike White apparently is a competent quarterback, and he found out that Garrett Wilson is good. Yeah, and, and so, like, you know, he has been, like, really uh, probably the number one receiver on that team right no, now. No, doubt. Uh, no doubt. No doubt, yeah. So it's only one. So um, in one of those weeks, like I said, it was against the Buffalo Bills, yep. and he had 92 yards that week, and that was with Zach Wilson. Yes. And so, like, um, yeah, like, and so I don't see why Garrett Wilson can't replicate that. Um, I'm not saying he's going to get 92 yards. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that he's going to get at least 65 yards. And uh, and that really and like I, I bring it back that really depends on Mike White which you know in the last two games right like Garrett Wilson has done great and Mike White also even though he has a one and one record has done great I mean like he threw for 684 passing yards combined in the last two weeks mm-hmm. and with the Buffalo Bills you know 17th you know in, ranked 17th in the pass game like I just see that going to be a lot of opportunity for Garrett Wilson right there. Right. Um, the Bills are also like the fourth best against the run game. So you're going to probably see like, you know, Mike White, like try it in the air uh, before trying it on the ground. Yeah. And of course, Von Miller for the Bills out because of an injury and uh, going to have to been out for quite some time. So a lot less pressure on Mike White as well. So it gives him some time to find his number one receiver in Garrett Wilson. Yeah, so we'll just – we'll see how it goes. But, I mean, and 
this is kind of, uh, I think this is kind of a daring pick because you're talking about the Jets, even though they've been doing pretty well, it's against, it's a rematch against Buffalo. And that was a shocker when Buffalo lost to the Jets, you know, in week nine. I right. mean, that was, everyone was like, what the hell is going on here? I, I so, totally agree. Yeah. All right. So you got the over on Garrett Wilson. So I also have a wide receiver on my first pick, and that is Amon Ross St. Brown of the Detroit Lions. Now, Amon Ross St. Brown's um, prop bet is over under 83.5 receiving yards. So that's over under 83.5 receiving yards. I have Amon Ross St. Brown. Well, I'm having a real trouble with his name today. With the over on 83.5 receiving yards. And I'll tell you why. First, the Detroit Lions and the Minnesota Vikings game has the highest over-under of the weekend main slate at 51.5 total points, which means that this game is going to be a shootout, which is not surprising since the Minnesota Vikings allow the most total receiving yards per game to opposing receivers at 283.6 total receiving yards per game uh, in the NFL this season. Minnesota really, really struggles against wide receivers in, uh, and they really struggled in receivers in five of their previous seven contests um, with five star wideouts gaining over a hundred yards. That includes Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, DeAndre Hopkins, Stefan Diggs, and your Garrett Wilson, who put up 162 yards <laughs> on the Minnesota Vikings. So up next, of course, is the Lions star receiver, Amon Ross St. Brown, who has been Jared Goff's number one target this season. He has 107.8 receiving yards per game over the last four, with a whopping 41 total targets over that stretch. I mean, when Goff locks in, he locks in. And he locked in really hard on Amon Ross St. Brown, and for good reason, because the guy's a playmaker. Newsflash, all these numbers are more than 83.5. They're on the triple digits. <laughs> so I, ha- I think that Amon Ross St. Brown will have no problems getting the over on 83.5 receiving yards this weekend against the Minnesota Vikings. Yes, the Minnesota Vikings are a very interesting team. Yeah. They have weeks where they are just crushing it. Like their defense is just really strong, yep. offense is strong. And then there are weeks where you're just like, this is not the same team. Like they just let the opposing team just run all over them. And, you know, they can't throw a pass for their life. So. Yeah, yep. and the Minnesota Vikings, I mean, they are the most vulnerable 10-2 team yeah. I've seen in a very long time. I, I mean, quite That's frankly. It's, it's so weird. But, you know, the funny thing is that they just tend to, outscore their competition it's not that they keep their competition in check in fact of the 10 wins they had this season nine of them were within one score yeah. or less one score Very or less close, yeah. yeah so they're all shootouts out there and uh, i think this is going to be another one a great opportunity for mrn ross st brown to break 83.5 receiving yards what's your second pick uh so my second pick is also a wide receiver it is Quiz Watkins uh from philadelphia Ooh, Quiz Watkins. Uh, he has uh, 27.5 <laughs> uh, receiving yards. Yeah. And I am going with the over. Whoa. Yes. <laughs> okay, the over it is. So this might be a little obscure because, you know, you're not really hearing his name being called by mm. the commentators. You're, you're not. You know? It's true. <laughs> and some of you might even be wondering who is Quez Watkins yeah what? he's on the Philadelphia Eagles yep. he is on the Philadelphia Eagles yep. and so this is why I think this is very daring that's why well, I, I think it's pretty clear why it's daring but go ahead <laughs> so the New York Giants have yet to play the Philadelphia Eagles this season mm-hmm. which is I think really weird that they a bunch the two games like yep. in the last what four weeks of the season mm-hmm. 
but yeah, so this is the first time that they're going to go up against each other. And right now, with the 15th worst defense against the passing game, <laughs> the Eagles will probably more than likely, you know, target their number one receiver, A.J. Brown, who yep. has been doing awesome. Yep. Uh, but at the same time, like, the Giants know that, mm-hmm. right? They might have the 15th, you know, worst defense, but they still know who the number one target is. And I think that is what will lead to Quez Watkins' opportunity okay. this week. And not just this week, but in previous weeks. Mm-hmm. Like, four to the five uh, games uh, in the last five weeks, mm-hmm. Quez Watkins has had over 27.5 receiving yards. Okay. I mean, that's, like, that's crazy because some of you are like, who's this guy? Right. But he's had over uh, 27.5 yards and, I mean, even 80 yards, right? So, mm-hmm. like... I mean, he's he's there. He's a target. I think Jalen Hurts like sees him and and sees him as an opportunity, especially if AJ Brown is like really bogged down. Because mm-hmm. you know, if you look at AJ Brown's numbers, there are weeks where he has like you know outstanding numbers, and there are weeks where he has like 30, 40 yards. Yep. And it's because like he's heavily covered. He has other receivers, and he's going to go to them. And so. Why another reason that I think he's scaring is because in the last five games, although he's done that well mm. and well being relative, because I'm sure if he's on your fantasy team, well, you know, I mean, he did get 40, 40 points. Yeah, he did, so he did. But yeah. like, if you're getting 40 points and no touchdowns, you know, you're cursing at him. But uh, regardless, they are, he had four games where he had zero receiving yards. Yeah. So, yes, I mean, <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen, but I'm betting that heavy coverage on Brown will leave Watkins with some opportunity to reach at least 28 yards this week. Okay. Well, it's a, it's a low bar, so hopefully he can make it. That is relatively daring. Uh, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> All right. So my, my last pick of the week is going to be uh, another receiving option, but not a wide receiver. It's Hunter Henry, and his prop bet for the week is over under 31.5 receiving yards. So it's Hunter Henry of the New England Patriots. And facing the Arizona Cardinals on um, Monday Night Football, and it's the over-under 31.5 receiving yards. Now, I'm going to take the over on that. I'm going to take the mm-hmm. over on 31.5 receiving yards for Hunter Henry. Now, I typically wouldn't place a bet on the New England Patriots passing game ever, and certainly wouldn't want to put one on their tight end, Hunter Henry. But this week, they face the Arizona Cardinals, who have had allowed now the most receptions, 6.9, and the most receiving yards, 73.3 per game to opposing tight ends. That's a lot of yards, 73.3 yards per game to tight ends, to opposing tight ends. That's by that's more than 20 yards more than the next closest team. And Henry hasn't been bad. He's actually averaged 36.5 receiving yards per game over the last four, which again is more than 31.5. Uh, so there's really, and there really isn't a wide receiver one in the Patriots right now. So Henry could get, Plenty of opportunity, could continue to get plenty of opportunity. And we already know that Bill Pelichuk likes to scheme for defenses he faces. And he knows just as well as we do that the Arizona Cardinals cannot defend against a tight end. So it won't take much for Hunter Henry to exceed 31.5 receiving yards. So I got the over this week on Hunter Henry of the New England Patriots uh, at 31.5 receiving yards. I got to say that is pretty daring. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's true there isn't. They've been kind of like shaky in the past game. Yeah. So I mean, you don't know like if Hunter Henry is gonna 
do all that well. He hasn't been all that good. No, but he hasn't been that bad. But he I hasn't just, been all that good. I just either. think Bill Belichick knows how to scheme for weaknesses in opposing defenses, and he knows that is their number one weakness. You know, and, and that is very interesting because, like, you know, the Patriots have really lost a step. Well, I, I think that's pretty clear. I mean, yeah. you get rid of Tom Brady and every receiving option on the team. You're going to lose it. And, of course, the defense has had some injuries as well. Yeah. The offensive line has had injuries. Let's not all put it on the it's, skill players. But. Yes, it's definitely not all on the skill players. But just as a team, like, I don't know if they're just looking to rebuild, you know, but, like, they're just really just crumbling. Well, they, they, they certainly have underachieved, um, and, and particularly after a year where Mac Jones was actually made it to the Pro Bowl and now – it's looking like he might actually be, you know, replaceable by, by what's his name, Baby Zappy or whatever his name is. <laughs> anyway, so that's what we got for the show today. Let's hit the air horn on the show. Joanne, give us your social media so people can follow you. It's at Kung Fu for you on Twitter. All right, so give her a follow and let her know what you think about the, her daring best this week. You can find me on Twitter at FB Garbage Time and on Facebook at the Football Garbage Time page. And as usual, thank you for listening and wasting time with us. Until next time, watch those horror movie scares, make those NFL player prop bet dares, and enjoy your NFL week. Bye, everyone. Good luck. <laughs>